Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm Natalie Pearson. Thailand was the first country to detect a case of COVID-19 outside of China in January 2020, and Chinese travellers make up the largest number of tourists in Thailand. And yet, a recent study conducted by the Lowy Institute ranked Thailand fourth out of almost 100 countries in terms of its response to the COVID pandemic. Today, we're going to explore the many factors that have contributed to Thailand's success in managing COVID thus far, including its long history of public health care, the overturning of medical elitism, the influence of certain cultural practices, particularly Buddhist practices relating to community and reciprocity, and the critical role played by Thailand's village healthcare volunteers. To discuss all this, we are joined by Dr. Anjali Cohen, Senior Lecturer in Anthropology at the University of Sydney. Anjali specialises in medical anthropology and Northern Thailand. She has published on youth mental health care experiences in Australia, methamphetamine use amongst Northern Thai youth, as well as Northern Thai youth subcultures, including violent youth gangs. She is author of Youth Culture and Identity in Northern Thailand, Fitting In and Sticking Out, published by Rutledge which explores how young people in urban Chiang Mai construct a sense of community and identity at the intersection of global capitalism, national ideologies and local culture. Her current research focuses on the role and success of Thailand's village health volunteers in preventing and controlling the COVID-19 pandemic. Anjali, welcome to SEAC Stories. Thank you, Natalie. Anjali, you've previously researched methamphetamine use in youth groups, but this shift in focus with your new research project to the role of the community in providing healthcare is quite different. How did you come to this new research project? Well, I became interested in Thailand's response to the novel coronavirus pandemic in March last year when my family had to make a decision as to whether my mother should return home from Chiang Mai, uh, northern Thailand, which is where my parents live six months of the year. Uh, And we had to make a family decision about it the week before Sydney went into lockdown in mid-March. We decided that it would be safer for my mother to remain in Thailand rather than risk getting on a plane at the time. There were very few cases of COVID-19 in Thailand, so that was another reason why we thought she might be better off staying. Of course, she was also apprehensive about leaving her 92-year-old mother behind. Now, it was a risky decision on our part as, uh, of course, the situation could have got worse in Thailand. But as the months went by, we felt that we'd made the right decision because, of course, Thailand has managed to keep the uh, coronavirus under control. And in fact, they have less cases than Australia. My father, who Paul Cohen, who is also an anthropologist, and I then became curious about how they were actually managing the pandemic. So we began to do some desk research and uh, interviews with some village health volunteers in uh, Chiang Mai, Northern Thailand, actually in my mother's village town. And did she, your mother, help you facilitate those? I presume they were over Zoom, were they? Actually, no, they weren't over Zoom. The village health volunteers uh, that I spoke with didn't have access to uh, Zoom, so um, they were actually through Line, which is very popular in Thailand. Oh, that's fantastic. So you were able to not only keep your mother safe, taking a bit of a a risk there in terms of whether to bring her to Australia or, or not, 
but also to capitalise on her presence in Chiang Mai and to tap into those networks of village healthcare workers. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to come back to the village healthcare workers. But first, I want to explore a little bit more about Thailand's response to COVID because, um, you know, one of the questions is how has Thailand managed to do so well? And as I mentioned in my intro, this new analysis released by the Lowy Institute ranks Thailand fourth out of 98 countries in terms of how it's handled COVID in the 36 weeks following the 100th confirmed case. So the top ranked country was New Zealand. Um, then another Southeast Asian country came in at number two, that was Vietnam, then Taiwan and then Thailand at number four. And Australia was ranked eighth. So is Thailand's performance in managing COVID effectively a surprise to you? Uh, yes, actually, I was surprised because, you know, Thailand was the first country to detect a, a case of COVID-19 outside of China, which you mentioned, uh, in January 2020. And of course, Chinese travellers make up the largest number of tourists in Thailand. But despite this, COVID-19 cases and related deaths are remarkably low. In mid-October 2020, Thailand recorded only 3,652 COVID cases and 59 related deaths. Um, so, of course, at this time, they were hailed as the success story in terms of responding to the pandemic by the World Health Organization. And while there was a spike in cases in December 2020, uh, the number of cases and deaths are still low when you compare it to most countries, uh, including Australia. Okay, you just mentioned the World Health Organization. Um, they attribute the low incidence rates to Thailand's primary healthcare system and also to Thailand's pandemic preparedness. The Thai government has boasted of its rapid response to the pandemic. To what extent can we attribute its success to government policy? Well, in Thailand, a state of emergency was not actually declared until the 24th of March 2020, even though the first local transmission was detected on 31st of January. So I wouldn't call that a rapid response. In fact, according to media reports, Thailand continued to receive visitors from China and only stopped when China prohibited overseas travel in mid-March. I do think the government's lockdown measures thereafter helped to contain the virus. However, I would attribute Thailand's success primarily to its well-resourced and inclusive public health system, which, as the World Health Organization points out, has involved the early and effective management of patients in hospitals and a strong capacity to trace and quarantine contacts using rapid response teams and village health volunteers. I should note that Thailand also had experience managing other major infectious diseases, including SARS, avian influenza and influenza H1N1, such as swine flu. Yeah, right. And are there also certain cultural factors that we should be thinking about? Yes, many Thai people adapted well to wearing face masks to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. It's not uncommon for Thai people to wear masks in regions where there is heavy air pollution from vehicle and industrial emissions, especially Bangkok, and in northern Thailand from the burning of highland Swedens in the dry season. Interestingly, a study conducted by YouGov Imperial College of London found that out of six ASEAN nations, Thai people are most likely to wear masks in public and use sanitizers. That is really astonishing. So Thailand is the top ranked. Uh, yes, apparently so. Also, in terms of cultural factors, the other thing is that Thai people have adapted uh, more easily than most other cultures, I think, due to the traditional Thai salutation where palms are pressed together, accompanied by a slight bow of the head. And this, of course, reduces physical contact. Kissing, hugging or shaking hands is an uncommon form of greeting in Thailand. 
So they haven't had to adapt to the elbow bump or the foot tap. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. One of the main factors has been the effectiveness of the primary healthcare system. If we look at the Thai medical profession over the years and the history of public health uh, in Thailand, we see some really important developments that have informed its ability to respond to COVID. Um, In particular, and I find this so interesting, Thailand has shifted from a more conservative and elitist approach to primary health care to one that is more decentralised and democratic. Why does this matter in the context of COVID? Well, as I noted, uh, Thailand have an excellent public health care system. The village health volunteers are believed to form the backbone of community-based public health in Thailand. And they've played a critical role in the prevention and control of COVID-19, particularly in terms of raising awareness among Thailand's large rural population. Indeed, Thailand's village health volunteers have been successful in controlling a range of communicable and non-communicable diseases, as I mentioned, uh, including avian flu, uh, SARS, surveillance, HIV prevention and control, children's oral health, and just health promotion in general. Now, Thailand's decentralised public health system owes much to the activism of reformist doctors, including Dr. Brawet Wasi and Dr. Grasse Chanawong, who played a major role in the development of community-based primary health care in Thailand, including the village health volunteer movement. Until the 1970s, the conservative Thai medical profession was elitist, you know, in terms of class and status. They were capitalist, drug-oriented, urban-centred, and they asserted their dominance over other health practitioners by means of subordination or exclusion. And this, of course, hindered the development of primary health care, especially in rural areas. Now, in the early 1980s, Dr. Kassir criticised the medicalisation of Thai society and argued that medical knowledge needs to be decentralised and democratically distributed to be, you know, equitably useful. Um, Similarly, the most influential reformist doctor, Brawet Wasi, was highly critical of the inequitable distribution of health resources. That included the concentration of hospitals in cities, excessive medical specialisation and reliance on complex medical equipment, the monopolisation of healing by the Thai medical profession, and its denigration of traditional medicine and practitioners, uh, not to mention an unethical emphasis on personal gain. And during the liberal political period between 1973 and 1976, Dr. Brawet founded the Folk Doctor Association and the Buddhist Bareheaded Doctor Scheme, which was modelled on the Chinese barefoot doctors. And these served as uh, precedents to the village health volunteer movement. So some of the early public health initiatives, such as the Bareheaded Doctors Scheme in the 1970s, were informed by Buddhist practices, which focused on economic self-reliance, this idea of the temple as a centre of community life, mutual help and reciprocity within a community. Do we see these same influences in the COVID response in terms of the devolution of bureaucracy from the centre to communities? Yes. Well, as Brawet Wasi argued, Buddhism encourages a, a sense of public service. Dr. Brawet emphasised the Buddhist temple as central to community life and cooperation. While some forms of village-wide cooperation have disappeared or have been attenuated, uh, such as the building of wooden houses and the planting and harvesting of rice, the Buddhist temple persists as this enduring fulcrum of community cooperation. And that is certainly what I have observed in my mother's village town. 
Um, now, the relationship between monks and the laity is based on reciprocity. Monks perform a variety of religious and ritual services for the community as a whole and for individuals, such as chanting and sermons at major Buddhist festivals. And in return, villagers make merit by daily providing food for local monks and by periodic gifts to them. Now, villagers also offer free labour and donations for Buddhist festivals and for the construction of pagodas. And this gift-giving to monks as fields of merit infuses more secular aspects of community life with the spirit of generosity and volunteerism. Actually, a novel aspect of the reciprocity between monks and laity has been a reversal of roles where monks receive food from lay donors and redistribute to the poor and unemployed, um, which actually happened in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the Buddhist temple and Buddhist ethics, especially in rural towns and villages, is a good example of communitarianism and the foundation of new forms of community cooperation, such as the village health volunteers. Now, getting back to your question, in terms of the uh, devolution of the bureaucracy from the centre to communities, I should note that the success of village health volunteers in controlling COVID-19 is in part due to the mutual collaboration between village health volunteers and professional health officials. Now, the collaboration is especially encouraged by the growth of district hospitals, which are relatively close and accessible to village volunteers. Now, also following Thailand's first national economic and social development plan from 1977 to 1981, the introduction and proliferation of community health hospitals at the district level have been critical to the effectiveness of the institution of village health volunteers. In fact, in 2018, 88% of the 776 districts, that is in 77 provinces, had community hospitals. That is such a change from the pre-1970s model, isn't it? That's right. So I was actually under the impression that the village healthcare program came about in response to COVID, but it seems that it's something that's been in existence for quite some time and is actually quite well established. Absolutely. So the Village Health Volunteer Program uh, existed actually since the 1960s. And uh, they are the primary connection between the formal health system and the community. And in 2010, there were more than 800,000 volunteers attending to over 12 million households throughout each province in Thailand. And there are now over a million Village Health Volunteers. There's apparently 15,000 public health volunteers just in Bangkok. Almost all villages have village health volunteers with a policy of one for every 10 to 15 households. Village health volunteers are mostly utilised for prevention and health promotion activities, which involves communicating information and mobilising community members to participate. Village cooperation is primarily based on this familiarity and trust that are gained by these known community members. Now, during the coronavirus pandemic, village health volunteers have had the added responsibility of regularly testing people's temperature, distributing face masks and sanitising gel to households. And they've been responsible for monitoring large group gatherings and checking that people are wearing face masks, such as at temples or funerals. Um, They've also been required to keep an eye on people visiting from outside the village, such as other provinces, and ensure that they self-isolate for 14 days, as well as regularly check their temperature during isolation. 
Earlier, you mentioned this policy of having one for every 10 to 15 households. So I'm, I'm interested in how they're recruited and sort of how they're governed, I suppose. Is there a formal arrangement or is it ad hoc? Do they have to have special qualifications to be a volunteer? Well, respected community members with good social skills are informally selected and encouraged to apply to become village health volunteers by village leaders and staff uh, from the sub-district primary health care centre. Now, the selection criteria include being able to read and write, being self-sufficient or employed, reside and work in the village, be trusted and respected by villagers, and be willing to help villagers. Now, following a formal selection process, including approval by the provincial health officer, uh, successful candidates are required to undergo seven days of basic health training at the primary health care centre. Uh, which is later followed by 15 days of specialised on-the-job training in health promotion, disease prevention and health education at the district hospital. I mean, these are great skills to have anyway, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. These volunteers, are they trained to look out for mental health care issues in addition to physical health care issues as well? Uh, yes, they are. I believe that they are asked to sort of report to, because all the village health volunteers are actually supervised by public health officers. And uh, if they do recognise, say, symptoms of, say, depression or other mental health issues, they would usually report that to the supervising public health officer so that they can actually get help. But sometimes it might be just a case of them sort of having a conversation with them to try and find out perhaps what's the cause of the mental health issues, even perhaps sitting down with family members as well and discussing it to see what they can do to actually assist. There's a really important question around payment. Um, what are their incentives for participating in this program? It, you do say that it's a volunteer program, so are there paid incentives for them? or? Well, prior to 2010, uh, Village Health volunteers didn't receive any monetary incentives although uh, volunteers and their immediate family members had and continue to have access to free healthcare. Although healthcare has been virtually free for most Thai citizens since the introduction of the 30 baht uh, healthcare scheme, which is 30 bahts, uh, roughly about one US dollar. And this was introduced in 2001 as part of a universal coverage of healthcare plan. And under this scheme, citizens aren't required to pay more than 30 baht for inpatient or outpatient care, including drugs. Um, now, village health volunteers have free access to health services at the district hospital, and this might include special rooms, and there may be other kind of other in-kind incentives, depending on the district and available resources. Examples include quotas and grants for tertiary study in nursing or public health, with the opportunity to work as a public health officer upon completion. From 2010, village health volunteers began to receive a nationwide monthly government allowance of 600 baht, and that's approximately equivalent to 20 US dollars. And this was to assist with expenses involved in carrying out their duties, such as transport costs. Uh, this amount was then increased to 1,000 baht at the beginning of 2019. From February to August 2020, village health volunteers received an additional government allowance of 500 baht to assist with the added responsibilities and work associated with managing the COVID-19 pandemic. According to a study of Thai village health volunteers published in 2015, now many actually associated this introduction of monetary payment in 2010 with increased governmental oversight and decreased autonomy and flexibility. 
They reported increased training in protocols, uh, increased meetings and reporting requirements, including twice monthly activity logs and greater monitoring and, and evaluation of village health volunteer activities. I spoke with a uh, village health volunteer in Chiang Mai who noted increased responsibilities accompanying the, the monthly allowance, as well as less flexibility. She said that before they were paid, they could take turns in attending meetings, but that could no longer happen once they were paid. So I think these sort of monetary incentives do pose a dilemma regarding genuine volunteerism for the Village Health Volunteer Program. Uh, Many Village Health Volunteers were worried that the monetary incentives would change the spirit of the program. Now, while some valued the allowance because it helped, you know, contribute to travel expenses, reduced their reliance on family members, and of course gave them a sense of recognition for their work, you know, other volunteers reported feeling that the money could cause people to apply who did not embrace this service minds traditional community spirit. Mm. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Um, Now, one final question before we wrap up. I'm interested in the sustainability of the volunteer healthcare program and whether you see it wrapping up or enduring or changing post-COVID. I think that the program's increasing governmental regulation and the village health volunteers' workload, which has become associated with payment, does raise questions around the program's future viability. Um, Many of the existing village health volunteers are middle-aged to elderly people um, and they're often supported by their children. Now, recruiting new and young people I think is challenging due to government restrictions on the number of village health volunteers appointed in each village and, of course, the need for young people to earn a living. Now, while Thailand has been successful in managing COVID-19, the economy has suffered immensely from the global pandemic, of course, as it has elsewhere. But as many young adults subsequently face potential unemployment or financial strain, I think a monetary incentive becomes all the more crucial in attracting village health volunteers. However, the issue of payment does raise questions regarding the sustainability of a genuine volunteer program, you know, based on this sort of true service mind or Buddhist community spirit upon which the program's success has been built. It sounds like such an amazing system. I would love to have something like this in Australia to help elderly family members or something. Having someone checking on them regularly would be fantastic. Are there any negatives to the program? Do you see any potential downside to this program? I don't see uh, any downside. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, as I've said, this is, this is one of the ways in which they've been able to manage not only COVID-19, but a range of uh, health issues, as you mentioned, mental health, but many, as I mentioned before, non-communicable and non-communicable diseases. I don't see any downsides to it. In fact, I think it would be great to actually see an increase in the number of village health volunteers. And I think it would be really good if the government could appoint more village health volunteers and, and not restrict it to, say, one person to every 10 to 15 households. Some of the village health volunteers are actually overloaded in terms of their work responsibilities because they're actually managing about 20 to 25 households each. And I think the problem with this is that if they become overloaded with work, it's going to be increasingly difficult to recruit more village health volunteers. Well, Angelie, thank you so much for joining us and we wish continuing good health for your mum in Thailand and all the best for this new research project. Thanks, Natalie, and thanks for having me. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney.
Make sure to keep up with all our CX Stories podcasts by following us on your favorite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.